Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today, you'll enjoy outstanding music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise.
you, Steve. Steve, thank you so much. Dos y tres no son cinco. How is that, folks? I'm talking to the folks who are um, Hispanics. Do you know what that means? I'm not going to try to say it. I'm going to read it. Dos y tres no son cinco. Oh, oh, don't start correcting me, telling me how to do it. <laughs> Taking all week trying to get this. I'll say it again. I'll get a little lilt in this one. Dos y tres no son cinco. How is that one, Susan? No son cinco. And now, I called some folks this week, and I... Uh, actually, Javier taught me to say this. Where's Javier? If it's wrong, it's because Javier told me wrong. Dos y tres no son cinco. Is that getting better? <laughs> now, I called somebody this week and I said, Darcy, uh, my sermon I said this week is going to be, Darcy Tres, no son cinco. And the lady said, that's silly. <laughs> and uh, I said, what does it mean? And she said, two plus three do not equal five. Is that what it means? Is that what it means? I sincerely hope it's what it means. I know a man who was learning Chinese, Steve. And uh, uh, he was practicing the Chinese, and he said, uh, uh, he tried to say, it is raining. And what, actually, what he said was, uh, I think uh, uh, you are a crazy man or something. You know, it's completely different. So I just hope I got this right. Darcy Tresh no San Cinco. It means two plus three don't equal five. That is a new Spanish proverb. That'll be used <laughs> everywhere Spanish is spoken in this church. Um, let me tell you where I first heard it. When I was a student at Avondale College, there was a professor, uh, Dr. Higgins, from Pacific Union College, where my daughter Julie is a student. And he gave a talk in the Avondale Chapel, and he got up and he said these words, Darcy tres no son cinco. And the theme of his talk was this, two plus three, do not always equal five. What the theme of the message was this, what you think really is, is not necessarily so. What you think is quite apparent. What you perceive to be reality may not necessarily be so. Perception is not always reality. I want you to think about this. What you think may be right and what you may think may be wrong, what I may think is true, may not necessarily be so. Uh, two plus three do not always equal five. And sometimes what I am absolutely certain about, and, and I can be quite dogmatic about it, what I may be certain about, my perception in fact may be a misperception. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to come over here to a text in the book of Joshua, if you don't mind, and I, I'm going to read a passage here about a misperception. It's the book of Joshua, chapter 22, and verses 9 and onwards. And I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you've got your Bibles, and please turn up, turn the texts, turn them up. Look up the texts, because Jesus said, it is written, man, what did Jesus say? 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And you ought to study the Bible, and you ought to read the texts, and you ought to see them with your own eyes, and you ought to reach your own conclusions. Now, the book of Joshua tells a very, very interesting story, and uh, I want you to notice, because it illustrates my sermon topic today, which is... Dos, I'll read it again. Dos y tres no son. Come on. Yeah, you folks. Dos y tres no son cinco. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the Javier translation. <laughs> Joshua 22, verse 9 and onwards. Turn up the passage. Notice it. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned. It's page 208. 208 in the Bible is there in the... In the Pews. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel of Shalah, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. So you get the picture? Here you've got some of the children of God, and they build this very impressive altar. The Bible says it's a great impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say. What did the verse say? The children of Israel, what did they do? They heard, whom did they hear? They heard someone say. And because what they heard, they perceived a certain viewpoint. Now, notice it. Now, the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the side occupied by the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them because they heard someone say they were going to have a war. Then the, uh, verse 13, then the children of Israel sent uh, some representatives. And you come to verse 15, then they came to the children of Reuben, this is verse 15, to the children of Gad and to half the tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them saying, verse 16, thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel? What a tactful way to start it out. They heard someone say, and so when they come and meet them, they don't come and they say to them, can you explain this? Is there a problem? Can you explain this? What do they say? What treachery is this uh, what you're doing? Ready to kill them, ready to go to war. What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord in that you have built for yourself an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Verse 21. Verse 21, Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the division of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, He knows, and let Israel itself know, if it is rebellion or if it is treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. And then you come down to verse 26, Therefore we said, Let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, 
but that it may be what? It may be a witness. Did this altar look like an altar of sacrifice, I ask you? Did it look like an altar of sacrifice? Come on, did it look like an altar of sacrifice? Of course it looked like an altar of sacrifice. The Bible says it was a great impressive altar. And somebody said, what these people are doing, they're going to set up a rival a sacrificial system. And these people are rebelling against the word of God. And therefore, because somebody said, the children of Israel perceived that these people were about to rebel against God, when in fact... These people were earnest believers and they had built this altar as an altar of witness so that their children would never forget that they too were a part of the tribes of the children of God. But there was almost an awful war. Almost thousands of people got to death, or got put to death because people had perceived that they were rebelling when in fact they were trying to witness to God. You see, what you think and what you perceive is not always necessarily the truth. Two plus three do not always equal five. And the problem here is that they heard someone say, I want to tell you, my friends, families have been torn apart. Churches have been ripped asunder. Societies have gone up in flames because somebody has perceived. Somebody has heard. I have a dear friend down in Texas who's a retired pastor. I'm going to camouflage the story. When he was a young pastor, he was sent somewhere in New England in these great United States. And he had a board of elders who, who wanted to maintain the standards of the church. That's great. We ought to want to maintain the standards of the church. And uh, they called a board meeting and they invited the young pastor along. And they said to the pastor, you have been negligent in your duties. He said, why? Because of the teacher of our church school. And what is the teacher of our church school doing? The teacher of our church school is having an affair with Mrs. So-and-so. Are you certain? Absolutely. There were four elders. We are absolutely certain and we are going to have him disfellowshipped. And the lady as well. Now the lady had lost her husband, she was a widow, she had a couple of little children, and she was living in a house by herself. Or had been. And my friend, this retired pastor, he said, what is the evidence? That's what a pastor has to say. What is the evidence? Give me the evidence, give me the facts. They said, we have the evidence. We went round to Mrs. So-and-so's house last night and we stayed all night outside in the bushes. Oh, wonderful spiritual leaders, weren't they? Why weren't they working for the FBI? So they said, we stayed out all night in the bushes and the teacher's car, which is a station wagon, was parked in the driveway all night. And she was inside and we know what they were doing. 
And the young pastor said, did you look through the window? No, we didn't need to look through the window. When you're as old as we are, you'll know what they were doing. Well, the pastor said, tell me this story. He said, I tell you what I think we ought to do. We ought to go around to the house now. Can we do this? They said, yeah, the sooner we get this fixed and get this teacher disfellowshipped and this adulteress put out of the church, the better it's going to be for us. So they got in a car and they drove around to the house and the pastor led his four elders up the driveway and they came to the door and they knocked on the door and the teacher's car was still in the driveway and one of the elders said, he's still at it? His car's still there? So the pastor knocked on the door and a lady came to the door. It was the pastor's wife. And she said, what's the problem? Oh, it's no real problem, but these are some of my elders and they've got some charges they want to make, so let's bring them inside. And uh, now the men started to get a little uncomfortable and they said, where is Mrs. So-and-so? Oh, the young pastor said, now I want you, you to sit down. I'm going to tell you something. You just sit down and keep your mouths quiet if you can for a while. I want you to hear this. The widow is in New York. She's been there with her children and her parents for two weeks. And when she went away, she said, I want somebody to take care of my house. And she came to, to me, the pastor, and to my wife and said, would you come and stay in my house? And what is more, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. I want the head elder to come now and get on the telephone and ring New York and find out where she's at. He said, I don't want to. He said, I don't care whether you want to or not. You're going to do it. So get up off your tail and come and use the phone. So he called the phone and the young widow came on the phone. How long have you been there? I've been here for two weeks. My children haven't been well and my folks are helping to take care of my children. Well, the elder said, what is the car doing here? And the pastor said, you know the old bomb car I've got? Well, the thing's been in the garage for the last two weeks and the school teacher loaned me his car. I was here last night. And the elder said, well, what are we going to do now? Well, the young pastor said, I, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to sack the whole lot of you right now. I'm going to sack you from being elders in the church. They said, you don't have the authority. Only the church board's got that authority. He said, that's just fine. We'll take it to the church board. And when I tell them what you've done, they're going to sack you. And they said, is there anything we can do to get out of this predicament? We have sinned against God. And he said, absolutely, you've sinned against God. And there is something you can do. You've got to get into your car and go and see every person to whom you told this story. And you've got to go and say, I have told a falsehood. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against the church. I've sinned against the teacher. And I've sinned against the widow. And they said, we don't want to do it. He said, well, that's fine. I'll sack you and I'll take you to the church. I'm glad to tell you that those men did what they were told to do. They got in the car and they went around and they visited every person to whom they had told this pernicious untruth. 
Not only was the teacher and the widow saved, but those men were redeemed also. Mm. I want you to know this today. Listen to me. I want to talk to every member in the church. This is for you. This is for you. And this is for me. Two plus three do not always equal five. What you may perceive with all of the best intent in the world may be a thousand light years from the truth. And I want to say that there are multitudes of people who have left the church of God out there in North America. There are more than two million people who have left our own church. And I want to tell you there are many reasons, but one of the reasons is because of the sin of criticism and slander that lives in our church. Now I'm going to read you a little poem. This is an Australian poem. And... Uh, I had to hear this poem from an American before I knew it was an Aussie poem, but I'm going to read it to you. Listen to it carefully. This is the poem he read in the Avondale Chapel 30 years ago. This poem is called, it's a famous Australian poem. It's called, The Barber Kept On Shaving. Now, I don't know if they do this here, but in the olden days in Australia, when you went to get a haircut, often the barber would lather your face up too, and he'd shave you. Also, hmm. talking about the men only, of course. Okay, this is called the Owl Critic. The Owl Critic. Who stuffed that white owl? No one spoke in the shop. The barber was busy, and he couldn't stop. The customers waiting their turn were all reading the Daily, the Herald, the Post. Little heeding the young man who blurted out such a blunt question. No one raised a head or even made a suggestion. And the barber kept on shaving. Don't you see, Mr. Brown, cried the youth with a frown, how wrong the whole thing is, how preposterous each wing is, how flattened the head is, how jammed down the neck is. In short, the whole owl, what an ignorant wreck tis. I make no apology. I've learned owlology. I've passed days and nights in a hundred collections and cannot be blinded by any deflections arising from unskillful fingers that fail to stuff a bird right from his beak to the tail. Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown, to take that bird down, or you'll soon be the laughing stock all over the town. And the barber kept on shaving. I've studied owls and other night fowls, and I tell you what I know to be true. An owl cannot roost with his limbs so unloosed. No owl in this world ever had his claws curled, ever had his legs slanted, ever had his bill canted, ever had his neck screwed into that attitude. He can't do it because tis against all bird laws. Anatomy teaches, ornithology preaches, an owl has a toe that can't turn out so. I've made the white owl my study for years, and to see such a job almost moves me to tears. Mr. Brown, I'm amazed you should be so gone crazed as to put up a bird in that posture absurd. To look at that owl really brings on a dizziness. 
the man who stuffed him don't know half his business. The barber kept on shaving. Examine those eyes. I'm filled with surprise taxidermists should pass off and use such poor glass. Do take that bird down, have him stuffed again brown. And the barber kept on shaving. With some sawdust and bark, I can stuff in the dark an owl better than that. I can make an old hat look more like an owl than that horrid fowl. Stuck up there so stiff like a side of coarse leather. In fact, about him there's not one natural feather. Just then, with a wink and a sly normal lurch, the owl very gravely got down from his perch. Walked around and regarded his fault-finding critic, who thought he was stuffed, with a glance analytic. And then fairly hooted as if he should say, your learning's at fault this time anyway. Don't waste it again on a live bird, I pray. I'm an owl, you're another. Sir Critic, good day. The barber kept on shaving. <laughs> now listen. Two plus three do not always equal five. Perception, my perception and your perception, is not always reality. What you may think is truth is not necessarily so. I want to tell you today, and in some ways I find that this is a difficult subject, but I want to tell you this today. This human failing of attacking people, criticizing people, has destroyed, I guess, millions of families and millions of lives. I don't know what it is in us folks. Uh, this is not only the sin of the church. Why is it that people like, when they go through the, the shopping centers, why do they like to buy the inquirer and the observer? When every person on the face of the earth with half a brain knows it is all garbage and lies. I will tell you what the problem is. There is something in the human heart that loves gossip. There is something sinister that lives in the unconverted human soul that loves slander and lies and all of those things. And it is this sin that destroys people in the church by the thousands and people in the world by millions. I want you to come to a text in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14 to 25. I'm going to read this text with you, please. Galatians chapter 5. And verse 14 to 25, if you don't mind, Galatians, the fifth chapter, and verse 14 and onwards. And I want you to notice what God's Word says about repeating stories that have got no truth in them. Galatians chapter 5, and would you please start with me, if you don't mind, 
at verse 14. And we're going to read this, this passage together. You ready for this? For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Say it with me. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How can a person tell whether he is a law keeper or not? Tell me this. How can I know if I am obedient to the law of God? Tell me. Hmm? By loving my neighbor. The Bible says the law of God is summed up in the greatest of all commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now look at verse 5. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. The Bible says that there were people here in the church and they were biting each other and they were devouring each other. What do you talk, what, what do you call that sin when people eat each other? What do you call it? Yeah. Now the Bible here, my friend, is talking about cannibalism. And here was a church in Galatia, and the church members were engaged in the rite of cannibalism. But they were not literally eating each other, they were eating each other spiritually. And the Bible says, if you do bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Now here is the antidote, look at this. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are the contrary to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law as a means of salvation. Now notice what it says. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now verse 22 gives you the opposite, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, say it with me, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to say something, and I know this is being watched by people on 3ABN. And I want to say this today and make it just as strong as I can say it, but I want to say it in love. We have come to a time in the history of the world and the history of the church when there is too much backbiting and too much criticizing and too much fighting among church members. Now, I want to give you some real illustrations, and if people say, well, I know about that person. If the cap fits, then wear it, I say. Let me give you a, something which is it's almost difficult to tell you. I baptized some folks who had come to the shrine meetings, a big family of seven people. And they were invited by a church member to go out to Palm Springs and to listen to a man who claimed to be an Adventist preacher. Still does. When this man got up in public, he said, you know what they did down at the shrine meetings? 
why they taught the people there to talk in tongues. He, then he went on with all of this garbage. And he said this before, a great audience of Seventh-day Adventist Christians, and many of them were saying, isn't that dreadful? Isn't that terrible? Those things ought to be stopped. Yes, they ought to be stopped. Liars ought to be stopped. Because the people whom I baptized were in the audience, and they stayed behind, and they said to this man, they said, John, we want to ask you some questions. Did you ever go to the shrine meetings? He said, no, I didn't. Did you ever see any videos of the shrine meetings? No, I didn't. Did you ever hear any audio tapes of the shrine meetings? No, I didn't. Then how do you know that those things happened? He said, I perceived it because somebody told me. Our friend said to him, but we were there at every meeting and we know that what you're telling is a lot of lies. And he said, well, he said, I don't think they're lies and, and anyhow, I'm just going to keep on preaching the truth. And then he put his hand in his pocket and he pulled out a bunch of notes that were that thick because people were giving him money believing that he was a defender of the church. He's not a defender of the church. He's a humbug and a liar. You hear what I'm saying? And the problem is today we have a situation in the church where we have people who glorify in gossip for one main reason. You know what it is? To make money. Because his uncle came to me and he said, don't be too hard on my nephew. He's got two problems. He's got a terrible ego problem. And number two, he's run out of money. And, and he knows there are enough gullible Adventists, when they hear this stuff, they will give money to support lies. Now, I want to say this to you today. Now, you listen to me, every one of you. By the grace of God, we ought to live above that sort of stuff, and we ought to live above lies, and we ought to live above slander. Don't you believe it? We ought to be people. I want to tell you, we ought to be people who demand the truth. And I want to tell you something else. We should not be gullible. I'm amazed by the gullibility of people. I guess we're all somewhat gullible. But some, some of us believe anything, and we ought to realize that most things are not necessarily so, dear friend. Now, I want to tell you, two plus three do not always equal five. And you and I should not believe things when they are told to us by people who've got an axe to grind and who are probably making money out of it. Now, I want to tell you something else. You say this to me, you're our pastor. How does one deal with a problem in the church? How do you deal with a problem in the church? I want to tell you how to deal with a problem in the church. I want to tell you, because problems are not dealt with properly in the church, people leave the church. But we as a church, are, when we have problems, we ought to deal with them righteously according to the Word of God. We should not ignore problems in the church, but we ought to deal with them according to God's Word. And we ought to do what Jesus said. Now, I want you to notice how we ought to deal with problems in the church of the living God. Now, this is a pretty strong sermon, but this, this sermon has been coming on for a while now. I want you to come to Ma Matthew 18, please. 
Now, I want you to get it from the Word of God. I want you to get it from the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to start at verse 12, and I want everybody to turn the text, please. Matthew 18, and it's verse 12 and onwards. Now, Jesus here is talking about how we deal with problems in the church. Matthew 18 and verse 12. And I want to say concerning that man who was going around telling those lies, I'm glad to tell you the church has had him disfellowshipped because he should have been disfellowshipped. His name has been taken off the church roll and there was only one problem. It was too long coming. It should have happened. A person who murders and a person who steals, but a person who engages in gossip should not be a member of the church of God unless they repent. Now, they have opportunity to repent, but it is a great sin against God. Now, I want you to notice this. Matthew 18, verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Now, look at verse 14. Even so... It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. You're listening to me? Why does the church exist, folks? Why are we here today as a church? We're here to find the one lost sheep. We're not here to drive people out of the church. We're not here to damn people. We're here to try to save people in the kingdom of God. That's why the church exists. Now keep on reading. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault before the world. What does it say? Go and tell his fault to the church, around the church. Let everybody know about her. Here is a girl. Here is a, a precious young woman. I can think of a precious young woman who comes to this church. And she was in a community of critics like that man who thought the owl was stuffed. And all those critics could say, because that girl loved to sing gospel songs, they said, she's no good. She's no good. Now, firstly, they were telling lies, but secondly, if they were half Christians, they would have gone and sat down with her and said, you are our daughter, and we love you, and can we make some suggestions? Don't go and talk about people, it says. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Now, say it with me, dear folks. Between you and him alone, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to whom? Tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let me tell you how you can save your brother how you can save your sister, how you can save the church. If a person sins against you, go and see him personally. Now, firstly, when you get there, 
you may find that the whole story is hocus pocus. <laughs> you may find it just doesn't exist. But now, does this take courage to do? Does it take courage? It takes courage. And because the world is filled with cowards, people don't do it. It's a lot easier, my friend, to hide behind a, pul a pulpit or a platform or to pour out poisonous material than it is to go humbly and say, I want to talk to you. So the Bible says, go and talk to him. Talk to him between him and you. What is the word? Alone. If he won't listen to you, then go and get somebody else to say, come talk with Come with me. Come, come with me. Come and see my brother. Let us talk to him together. Then take a third person. And if the person is so stubborn, then you go and get the pastor. And then he gets the church. And they talk about it. And there's one purpose in view. Not to drive people out, but to win people to Jesus and to lead people to repentance. Now, I'm going to tell you a story for which I am famous in this part of Australia. People have never forgotten it after 15 years. I was in a church in Australia which I will call the A Church. A wonderful church made up of wonderful church members. One day this man came to me and he said, Pastor Carter, I've come with a complaint against a member of the church. I said, are you sure? Yeah, I'm absolutely certain. He was quite a big fellow. I said, what is the complaint? He says, you know the blonde girl with the good figure, I knew, we all knew her, yes. Long, beautiful blonde hair, who's married to so-and-so, yes. Well, she is fooling around with the guys. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Are you certain? Yeah, I'm certain. Have you seen it? No, but I know. How do you know? I perceive it, I know it. I said, let me ask you again. Are you sure she's fooling around with the guys? Yes. I said, fine, then don't go. I went to my assistant, who was quite a strong man. I said, come with me. Come with my friend Keith here, because we're going right now to see Mrs. So-and-so and her husband, who was a truck driver, who was about six feet eight and about this wide. <laughs> so I took him by the arm. Is this doing the right thing? Now ask me. Answer me. Is it doing the right thing? Yeah, it is. Maybe we don't do it here, but it's the right thing. It's the right thing. So I, I took him by the arm, and we went to where the truck driver and his wife were standing outside the church. And I said to her, I don't want you to be offended. I'm sorry, as a minister, this is my responsibility. Sometimes I wish I were not a minister. I wish I lived on a farm on the outer Baku where the church is a few. But I say, a minister, if he's going to be true to God, has to do what is right. I said, I don't want you to be offended. Forgive me that I have to do this. I said, this man here, Keith, says that you are sleeping around. I want to ask you in front of your husband, is it true? And then immediately Keith said, I didn't really, th I don't know if it's really true. I was just thinking maybe it could be. Oh, I said now to my assistant, is that what he said? 
He said, no. He said she was sleeping around. Now the truck driver started to get stirred. Now, if it hadn't been the Sabbath, I might have stepped just around the corner. But I said, not for my sake. But sometimes a person who does these things needs to be trained. Spoil the rod and spoil the child. Maybe he needed to be taught a lesson. But I said to the truck driver, don't get mad about this. We never solve this problem by beating people up, even though he deserves it. And he does deserve it. Did he deserve it? He deserved it. I said, we don't solve a problem like this. But then I said to Keith, I said, I want to hear from you the most humble apology to this man and his wife. And if I don't hear it, I'm going to take you to the church board and recommend that you be placed under church censorship. And if you don't repent, I'll recommend that you be disfellowshipped. He said, you wouldn't do it. I said, test me. Test me. He said to the girl, I, I'm sorry. I said, it's not quite humble enough. He said, I humbly apologize. I'm sorry. I said, never do it again. You have sinned against a daughter in Israel. Never do it again. And to the best of my knowledge, he never did. <laughs> Listen, my friend. There's a way to solve problems. If you've got something against your brother, go and see him. You know, we live in an age of lies and slander. But listen, what happens? What happens? If the investigation is carried out and the person is found guilty, what happens then? Well, let me tell you what happens. The person who is in the church who is found guilty needs to be disciplined. That person needs to be dealt with. But that person needs to be dealt with with a discipline that is redemptive and not destructive. We are in the business of trying to get people into the kingdom of God. I want to tell you a story and then I'm going to finish. Listen. In the days of Jesus, they caught a beautiful woman committing adultery. You know who caught her? The Pharisees. I've often wondered, how did they catch her? How did the Pharisees catch her? They were concerned brethren who went around snooping on their brothers and their sisters. I want to tell you, first and foremost, none of us are called to be snoopers. Jesus didn't say, go into world and snoop on your brethren, did he? I've been asked to be a snooper. I've had people come to me. I've had even women come to me in Australia and say, would you come? I believe my husband is committing adultery. Will you come with a camera and catch him? <laughs> a minister is not called to be a snooper. He's called to be a preacher of the gospel. But the Pharisees were snoopers. And so they followed this woman around and they looked through windows and they climbed up on roofs and they camouflaged themselves in all sorts of disguises and they caught the woman. 
And then they ran and they said, Jesus, we've caught her. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We've caught her. And you know, know the story, don't you? Jesus put the woman in the midst and there were the Pharisees, the elders of the church, the defenders of the holy faith. And Jesus knelt down and Jesus started to write with his finger in the sand. You know what Mrs. White says about that? Very interesting. You know what he was writing in the sand? Jesus was writing down their sins. He was writing down the names and the dates. He was writing down Mary, some other woman, the date and the time and the place. And here the old Pharisee came, looked over his shoulder. That's the last thing. You know, you know something? You look at my finger. You look, watch my hand. Whenever you point your finger at somebody else, there are three that point back at yourself. Did you know that? Yeah. Whenever you point your finger at somebody, there are three that point back at you. Now wait on, I'm not through. So Jesus wrote in the sand. And when the Pharisees had gone, Jesus said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Has no one accused you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Jesus didn't just say, neither do I accuse you. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Jesus did not cover up sin. But Jesus redeemed the sinner so the sinner would sin no more. Now, listen to this. The Pharisees were in the profession of picking up stones because they said to Jesus, let's stone her. And Jesus had said, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to cast a stone at her. The Pharisees were in the job of picking up stones. Jesus was in the job of picking up people. Now, either you're in the job of picking up stones, or you're in the job of picking up people. I want to tell you today, as Christians who are saved by the blood of Jesus, sinners that we are, redeemed sinners, we have been called to do a ministry. That ministry is not to break or to destroy. That ministry is not to pick up stones. That ministry is to pick up people. And as we pick up people, Thus we fulfill the words of Scripture that love is the fulfilling of the law. I want you where you're seated just to bow your head. I want to pray for each one of us today. Our Father, we believe today that this is a world that is hurting. We believe that the church is hurting. We believe that sin is everywhere rampant. And we believe that where sin exists, it needs to be dealt with. That adultery and fornication and lying and cheating, stealing should not be condoned by the church. And any church that condones those sins is saying that it doesn't believe in the Word of God and it doesn't care about Christ. But help us, Lord, to know this too. The work of the church is to save. 
The work of the church is not to lift up stones, but the work of the church is to lift up people like Mary Magdalene. And dear Father, we pray today for a miracle in our lives and in this congregation that the sin of slander and criticism and evil speaking will die out in our hearts. And that when sin exists, that we will do what is right. We will go to our brother and tell him his fault between him and him alone. And if need be, then we'll take it to the church, but we'll do what Jesus said. And thus, our Father, help us in this church to build a community which is unlike the community in the world, where it's a case of dog eat dog, and man fight man, and woman against woman. Help us to build a community where we genuinely love you, and we love each other, and we spend our time not picking up stones, but picking up people. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. Bless these dear people, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Pastor Bolt. There is a quiet place Far from the rapid pace Where God can soothe my troubled mind Sheltered by tree and flower in that with him my cares are left behind whether a garden small or on a mountain tall new Oh.
you've enjoyed the program today and would like information regarding the availability of video or audio cassette tapes of today's program, please write to John Carter, care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. That's John Carter, care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Today's program number is on your screen. Your prayer requests and comments are also encouraged. Please pray daily for Pastor Carter and Three Angels Broadcasting Network as they share the truth of the Three Angels' messages throughout the world, especially into the land of Russia. That's John Carter, care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. God bless you. Cassette copies of today's program are available to you. For your copy of today's telecast, write John Carter, care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Call toll-free 1-800-253-3000. Your gift of $20 or more is requested for each copy. Thank you for caring. Thank you for sharing. 1-800-253-3000.